At a recent workshop, the leader for the tour group taking us to Hajj told us that he's seen pilgrims dying on the side of the road. Some people get tired, others suffer from the heat. But the worst thing is that many of these people just get buried in an unmarked grave and their families have no idea what happened to them. The message for us? Always carry your ID badge with you. My name is Siraj Datu and this is The Pilgrimage, a podcast where I'll be taking you through my journey and of those around me as we perform Hajj one of Islam's most fundamental obligations. We're travelling to Saudi Arabia on Friday. There's really not long to go. This episode is really going to try and focus on two elements of preparing for the trip. First, saving up. And second, trying to change your priorities in life. Towards the end of the episode, we'll hear the personal message one pilgrim sent to friends and family before she went on her journey. And as it's the first real episode, it's important that I start with a few disclosures. I'm not a scholar, and I definitely don't speak for all Muslims. Different sects have different views, and crucially, different Muslims practice their religion differently. Here's the plan for the podcast. I'll publish a few episodes, like this one before the trip. And then I'll hope to publish more episodes once I'm back, with the hope of speaking to lots of pilgrims while I'm out in Saudi. So, let's kick off. Hajj isn't obligatory in Islam. Okay, it kind of is, but there's an exception. Every Muslim should go to perform Hajj at least once in their lifetime, but that's only on the condition that they can afford it. So, if they can't, that obligation obviously doesn't exist. That's partially why you see so many people of different ages in Saudi for the Hajj period. People have to go whenever they can afford it. And let's talk about the numbers really quickly. 25,000 pilgrims typically travel from Britain every year to go for Hajj. 25,000. And they spend about £125 million. That's according to a 2014 City of London press release. There are typically between 2 and 3 million people that perform Hajj every year, although the numbers tend to vary from year to year. And the pilgrims are all different ages. Some come with their whole family, and others save up as a couple and go with their spouse. One of the interesting things you'll find about the Hajj is that while there are so many different tour groups that go, most of them, or at least a lot of them that I know, tend to charge nothing. Now that doesn't mean that you pay nothing at all, but you pay cost. So the actual tour operators don't make any money or profits on that one trip that year, which considering that often they take, you know, hundreds of people, that's a big loss for them to make, and instead they try and make their money back on other journeys throughout the year. But even then, Hajj isn't a cheap trip. It costs upwards of £3,500, that's for something more budget, and if you want something that's more luxury, it can go all the way up to £7,000. That's a lot of money. I spoke to MJ Gulamsain about how he saved up for Hajj this year. Basically, the thought originated in my head when I was in my final two weeks of uni, so this was in August because I was doing a master's back then. This was during Ramadan. So two weeks before uni finished, and I was um, during one of the nights of power, actually, and I hadn't had a job yet. So um, I'm really praying to Allah about getting myself some income because I know that Allah will sort of provide for me. And then I, I made this promise to him that I really wanted to go see him as soon as I got a job because I knew that once I got a job, I'd be able to afford to go see him because I was single at the time. I didn't have many expenses. I was living at home. So it was a bit easier for me and I thought that I was ready to go meet him anyway. Because a lot of the time people say that they're not ready for whatever reason that they're going through. But at that moment in time where I made that vow, I felt that it's about time. So funnily enough, I got a job 
a week later. So as soon as I got that job, I made it a point to just sort of save up. And I'd heard about this group that did it slightly cheaper than the rest, but were actually very, very good in terms of the demographic that went with them. Right, so this is the group, the same group that we're going with yeah. this year? Yeah, yeah. Right, and the and they class, we had a seminar just over this weekend, and yeah. they said they, they, they call themselves the budget group. The budget group, but it's cheap and cheerful. It's definitely cheerful because uh, they sort of in my opinion, give a real experience of hub. But what you do experience is actual closeness to your creator because you get put into these tricky circumstances because of the the facilities not being five star, but it actually helps you get closer to him. The first time you went for Hudge, it was because you essentially made this promise to God that help me get a job and I want to come and see you. Yeah. Help me and allow me to come see you. And the only way I'll be allowed to come see you if I get a job, because then otherwise I won't have the income. And technically, you're not allowed to go to Hajj unless you're financially capable. Right. And, and what year was this? So I made the vow in 2013, and then I went 2014. Right. So that that was a year of what, saving up about £3,000. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. It was... Uh, it, was, it wasn't as difficult as I, as I thought it'd be, because, like I said, I was living at home. I didn't have any rent to pay. I paid a little bit, because, you know living at home and working, you know, you've got to have those abilities. But I just felt that it's only, only, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but because I didn't have anything else to spend it on, I just thought that I'd keep money aside specifically for Hajj. Yeah. And then that's what it happened. And then you loved it so much, you're going on Hajj again three, three years later. Yeah, I just couldn't get enough. Or maybe I just need to repent again. <laughs> Press right, so this is the idea that you go back for Hajj and you get all your, your sins forgiven. Again. Yeah, exactly. Right, but there's, there's another driver for you, isn't there? Yes, so I'm going with my wife this year. And um, funnily enough, I made a vow when I was at Hajj last time. You make a lot of vows. I know, I know. It's because Allah gives me quite a bit when I ask when I make promises with him. So <laughs> I thought, listen, I made a promise to get... Um, to go to Hajj if Allah gave me a job. So maybe I go for two for two. Because <laughs> I was it worked like, out. Yeah, it did. It did. Funnily enough, because when I was at Hajj, I I made a promise to Allah that I'd come back once I get married because obviously you're single at the time, you're asking for the one. And um, Allah blessed me with her, alhamdulillah. And basically, in order to fulfill my vow, I'm going again. Okay. But th- because it's my wife's first time, it kind of fits in perfectly because... Um, when I was there for the first for the first time, I saw a lot of couples, and a lot of the time, you know, the women are small, and you got these burly six foot five Arab <laughs> dudes sweating everywhere, like barging everywhere, and they need protection at some point. Don't you need protection too? I'm like you're, you're describing yeah. this to me, and I'm a little bit worried right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, when you see it from above, and you see everyone like going around in unison. And it's all very synchronized and everything. But once you get in, it's literally Royal Rumble. <laughs> literally, you get you, you get hit in the face, right? And you're turning around and you're expecting some big guy. And you look down because there's no one up there. And there's this four foot nine Malaysian woman just looking at you going, can you get out my way, please? I'm trying to get to my Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically just a massive current just pushing you through, right? And it's very important not to drown in that current. Right. When I say drown, I mean just get lost in it. Right, so it's hard enough being young in the UK. Wage growth is stagnating. House mm-hmm. prices are going up. Mm-hmm. And now there's two of you and you don't live at home anymore. You have your own place. So yeah. this year, Hajj is, is about 3,000, just under 3,500 each. That's 7,000 mm, yeah. pounds for both of you. Like, what was that process like? How did you go about saving for Hajj? So 
we basically started off saving a bit of um, what we earn every month anyway. And, you know, the, when you have that sort of fun for the house and, oh, I'm saving for a house, I'm saving for a house, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then because we thought that this is a bit more urgent and this is a bit more short term in that it's closer by than actually getting a house because of the ridiculous prices. Basically, we just thought that it's only 11 months away. We may as well put the funds towards that instead because the first time is the, the one that it's a must. So we may as well pitch in towards that and then think about any other expenses later on. Did that mean that you were you weren't able to do certain things you wanted to do or like go on holidays or what kind I of sacrifices mean, were you making? The sacrifice was that we couldn't spend more in terms of we couldn't save more to like to get a house quicker. But I, I always like we always believe that Allah is the giver of risk anyway. Is he's the giver of sustenance. So we didn't really have any sort of qualms about shifting focus because we knew that there's a saying that you know you will get reimbursed for the money you spend right. during life. this is actually a pretty commonly held belief here's what my dad said when i spoke to him on an entirely different day i was short of about three thousand shillings and i did tell my dad because i was doing some business and the money hadn't come in yet so i talked to my dad he says you don't worry you go when you come back you'll see the money has come back and this is what happened when i came back I got more money than what I thought it was being. That was MJ talking us through his preparation. Sometimes, though, it's really, really tough. In 2013, 200 people reported booking trips for Hajj, but ended up being victims of fraud. They discovered that either the operator wasn't real, and they lost thousands of pounds, or worse, maybe, when they got to Saudi Arabia, they realised they didn't have any accommodation. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The Council of British Hajis reckons that only 3% of those who fell victim to fraud actually reported it. Imagine saving up all that money, only having it stolen from you. My personal view is that in those instances, God would give you all the benefits of having gone for Hajj, and you wouldn't have to save up again. But I can imagine that those people would probably feel that they still want to make the journey themselves. For the second part of this podcast, we're going to refer back to the episode title. Every year, people die while performing Hajj. That's a fact. But a lot of the rituals and traditions that you do before you go are about helping you change your mindset from one that worries about daily life to thinking more about spirituality and becoming a better human. And that's specifically true for something that you have to do before leaving the Hajj. That's writing your will. You have to think about all your assets and materialistic items and think about what's going to happen to them when you die. Crucially, it's about making you think about your relationship with God rather than with others. I spoke to Fatima Kareem Kaku, a transport consultant who went for Hajj last year, about what it was like for her to write her will. So um, my husband and I, we were, you know, we were going together and we'd actually just come back from, from a, a long sabbatical. So we only had two weeks <laughs> to prepare. Um, and yeah, we had, um, or maybe it was three, but you know, that, that's really not enough time, but we had a list and we knew what we needed to get. So lots of trips to boots to try and find unscented shampoo and deodorant and soap. Like I said, the rituals and obligations are making you think about that and change your mindset. I mean, you have to write a will. How did you go about doing that? And how did that feel? Yeah, um, it, it's a very, very strange experience. And, you know, we're actually advised within the religion to, to have a will generally at all times when you're kind of off age. But it's not something we do 
as a norm. But I think before I went on another kind of religious trip, not a required one, um, I did actually draft a letter, I guess, to my family, less so a will. And that helped me kind of draft this formal will. But yeah, you kind of listing your, you know, whatever assets you have and how you want to distribute your, your jewelry and your clothes. And there's really silly things which you think, when you think about it, it's quite humbling, it's quite scary. But yeah, it's a very strange experience. So the film Love Actually, and this is slightly tangential, but the film Love Actually paints like a totally unrealistic picture of what it's like when you actually go to the airport. Like there's loads of people in the scene. It's never like that. But for Hajj, when you go, if you've ever been to Heathrow during Hajj time, and I think I've just seen pictures, but there are so many people, everyone who's going for Hajj, it seems like everyone has their families with them, the families are sending them off. And I guess in that moment, when you were saying goodbye to your family, was there anything that kind of hit you that I might be saying goodbye to them for the last time? Yeah, I think it's a realisation there. If you, if it hasn't kind of hit you and, you know, it hits people at different points that you're actually privileged to be going on this journey, but also that this journey represents this kind of end state and a kind of a rebirth or a, or a death state. It's, um yeah, the scene is, is a is quite a good analogy um, of, you know, families embracing and saying goodbye. As we've discussed, pilgrims go to Hajj to get reborn. And an important part of that is trying to wipe the slate clean. To help with that, pilgrims send messages to friends and family. I asked Fatima to share her message. You sent this message to your friends, enemies, frenemies <laughs> before you left. Thank you for reading it out. I understand it's fairly personal. So thank you for that. What did you, what did you write when you sent this message? All right. Um, so because, you know, we have a, a lot of contacts. Some are, are Muslim, some are non-Muslim, some understand what the pilgrimage is some don't so we try to make the message understandable to everyone so this is how it goes hello and salams i am writing as my husband and i have been blessed to inshallah go on the pilgrimage this year the hajj we see this journey as our final trip and i encourage you to see this message as my last with this in mind i humbly and sincerely apologize for anything i have said or done and I ask for your forgiveness. If there is any reason you cannot, then please let me know, and I will endeavor to right the wrong I have done to you. If I am indebted to you, then please remind me, and I will settle this before we leave this weekend, inshallah. Have a blessed Friday, because this was a Friday. Peace and prayers, Fatima. Wow. <laughs> I mean, reading that back, how, how do you feel? Yeah, I admit it's 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 really weird. I mean, at the time, you you do really try and get into that mindset that it could be your last trip, and I think the last trip has so many meanings to it. It last trip in the sense, oh my gosh, is it is it safe where I'm going? And you hear so many stories. Well, maybe not so many. The stories that make the news are the ones that are are the sad ones, are the morbid ones. But also last in the sense, you now know the the meanings behind what you're doing and why you're going, and you do want to come back as a refreshed, renewed person. So it's I think it's got many layers to it, but I, reading back, I can see that, um, yeah, it was, it's quite a, a... It'd be quite a strange thing for someone to read if they weren't so um, aware. Of. And, I, and I did get comments, actually. Well, I mean, I was going to say, there was one scholar who said that he often sees people sending messages to people maybe they've fallen out with, uh, but they've suddenly it's right before they go on their flight, 
and then they just switch off their phones. I don't want to hear the response. <laughs> I mean, did you get any... I mean, when you sent yours, did you get any unexpected reactions or what was the reaction that you got? I mean, the overwhelming reaction was, oh my gosh, like, it's amazing. Have a, have a wonderful trip. Have a safe trip. You know, may your pilgrimage be accepted. So lots of good wishes and goodwill. But... I think one or two people, um, I think it was to my husband's sex, who used, we use the same template. The kind of, we see this journey as our final trip, probably read a bit interestingly to someone who maybe saw it a bit more suicidal or a right. bit more morbid, like, uh, you know, where are you, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you going on a trip that's like this? So, you know, you just had to explain that and have a conversation after. But apart from that, the most kind of, knew what this was about right yeah. i mean i think that's 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 quite fair isn't it? yeah exactly that's when i when i read it back as well i said God, even when they raised that point i was like yeah they have a point this is quite a <laughs> i don't know it, it was that necessary should we have included that but it's a bit late i asked fatima to tell me about the more inspirational moments from her trip i didn't want the interview to be too downbeat and she brought up a great point it's actually really inspiring when you realize just how lucky you are to be able to go for Hajj. One of the first things, I don't think we would have appreciated as much because while before Hajj, I said we were um, on a kind of a sabbatical, my husband and I, and when we were in Indonesia, we we were shown around one of the kind of holy temples by an elderly Muslim man. I think he must have been over 70. And he was telling us, like, once we were, you know, he realized that, yeah, we're Muslim as well. And in the UK, they are Muslims. Um, he said that um, he's been on a waiting list for Hajj for over 20 years. Wow. And he's 70 and he, he's never been. And we were at this time signing up, looking at the options, putting the deposit down. And it was really like a, a an eye opener again and very humbling to to realize how privileged I guess in the UK, you don't have that kind of issue. The Indonesia is the largest, as a country, the largest Muslim population. So the quotas on visas are inevitable. You have that in many countries. So that was kind of uh, amazing, you know, just to feel that at least we're able to go, especially, you know, when you can. The year you want to go, you can kind of go if you have the finances. Whereas there's children in Indonesia who are like being signed up from when they're like 10, so that at some point they'll be on the list. Fatima also expanded on some of the more memorable moments from her trip. And when I was there, like, one of the key things that we kept noticing was the different nationalities. And it was so cool because everyone wore, apart from us, I guess, everyone wore their, like, national colours or their flag in an outfit form, mainly because you know who's in your group. And right. the, the, the leader of the group can kind of see everyone together. And you'd see all the kind of... The, Ind the Indonesia group and the Nigerian group and South America, they'd all kind of be in a similar color. And, it, and we even had a, a vest to wear during the, the, the busy days so that our coordinators could spot us. But they kind of had this, and they had, you know, like vests which were labeled where they were from, South Africa, Ghana, Cameroon. And it was amazing to see the number of countries there. And you start talking to people because you, you have that kind of conversation starter and you meet amazing people, people who've traveled so far and wide, people who it's their first time, but they're so elderly and you're, you know, you're so young and you're here. So it's like really interesting stories and you know anyone who's going you you really should kind of speak to people and and embrace the, the many cultures that that are there and it, it's really the quirky differences in, in the cultures which makes it I think really special. Fatima told me there are a few moments in Hajj that really struck her. The first time you see the Kaaba I mean everyone has different 
personal reaction depends on your state of mind I, I mean don't I don't, don't have expectations on yourself but I think for, for anyone it is a truly moving and emotional moment I was really overwhelmed it was a beautiful beautiful sight it was something that will stay with me forever and Fatima had some really great tips for Hajj I'll include a section with general tips in a future episode but I wanted to share this one about getting a SIM card early on. It's useful to have a SIM card. It's not so expensive, but a tip for the ladies is most of the shops don't serve ladies. So you will need a um, your husband or your brother or the group own the group lead or someone to try and get hold of the SIM card for you. And that's all for today. This podcast is still in its infancy. And any reviews you can leave on the iTunes website, search a pilgrimage, would be really helpful. And it could encourage others who don't know about the show to find it. Today's podcast was produced and edited by me, Siraj Datu. You can follow me on Twitter at Dats. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to The Pilgrimage on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We use Creative Commons music by The Mind Orchestra, and we also use music from the Free Music Archive. If you're looking for more travel tips, go to travelthroughtheearth.com or follow us on Instagram. We're at travelthroughtheearth.com.